listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Ryan Shutt and Philip Russell, and we are getting closer and closer to regular season NBA basketball. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this Tuesday afternoon? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Enjoying the uh, the return to the work-life balance after getting uh, the hurricane through here. kind of knocked things out of rhythm, but I feel like I'm kind of back in that. But more than anything, I'm excited to be back with, with my fellas, the fellas, if you will, after a, after a week hiatus. And, and Philip, I'm guessing you feel a little bit like Chris Paul in the playoffs right now, I would assume. On the but- bench in the fourth? Perhaps. Yeah, uh, t- tell tell the folks what's going on, uh, unfortunately, for you. So as a cousin of mine texted a girl he went on a date, he went on a date with in the year 2020, quote, I have the big C. <laughs> Which his date thought was chlamydia, when in <laughs> fact he meant, <laughs> he meant he had COVID. And my wife and I both share the big C now again being COVID-19 so we're uh we're on the mend <laughs> into we're, hey into the valley episode 69 is off to a hot start we <laughs> want to thank all of our listeners for being here and wanted to cut Philip off he has COVID that's what he was trying to say and uh, I'm sorry do you have additional diseases you would like to share with us now nah, I was just going to give the whole uh, the whole medical experience, but since my health and well being are I'm not sorry, no, go ahead, podcast, go ahead. I guarantee the listeners want to hear exactly how you're feeling. Go ahead. I was just going to say I'm a little congested, so if, well, I, sound, if, is, if I sound if I sound more like a man this episode, nothing has changed with me. I'm just I got some chest congestion. Look, if the Suns can play through the the, the playoffs with COVID, I think you can sit through a podcast episode. You know, but did they play through? <laughs> I don't know if they won that battle. Um, Wanted to start a little different just by saying thank you to those that are listening. If you haven't before, feel free to check us out on Twitter at the Valley PHX. The biggest thing, biggest help for the channel for the show is if you go and hit our new episode tweets with a retweet or anything else, you can even give it a like. It's a little less committal, but feel free to Share that announcement with those in your little Twitter family. Uh, get the word out there as we continue to try to grow this thing going into the regular season. Um, but that's it in terms of self-promotion. We will move along. Again, thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Brightside folks. But gentlemen, as I said, regular season basketball is getting closer. I thought that my, my desire for basketball would just make me want to eat up the preseason. That was incorrect. I I watched first couple games. I was like, it's here, baby. And then by the time we get to the Nuggets game, I'm like, ah, dang it, man. Give me some give me some real hoops. This isn't this isn't scratching the itch. Have you you guys watched, I assume, the preseason games? Are you getting excited about it or is it almost more of a chore to be like, we need to watch this, we need to see if anything happens? Cause I probably fall a little closer to the second camp. I'm not engaged or entertained by preseason basketball in the slightest. If I'm going to be honest, for the love of the sport, I'm glad it's back. Uh, but I feel like these games are essentially beyond meaningless for literally everybody in the league. They're just a way to get warm before the actual season starts. And again, I think I mentioned it last time. We've mentioned it on the podcast before. 
I'm of the opinion the season doesn't even start until about three weeks in anyway. Uh, so right now, this is just meaningless for fun basketball. Uh, some glorified scrimmages essentially taking place. I'm going to take issue with what Ryan said, that it's completely meaningless, because I think there's a budding romance on the Suns that I want to talk about. Before that, though, the Lakers game was super fun in the first half. It was an absolute blast. There was a stretch where LeBron a couple times pulled up from the logo. He had a couple back-to-back threes. Booker was gone at Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly was doing his thing. But it wasn't, there wasn't the tension that occurs in the regular season because it was just, it was just guys out there hooping. And it was really fun. I enjoyed that a lot. It was fun to see a guy like LeBron start off just on fire. I think at one point he was like eight of nine for 19 points with seven minutes left in the second quarter. So he was doing his thing. That was a good time. Mm. The budding romance that I want to talk about. You know, like when you go out with people who maybe they're just getting to know each other and you watch a couple people interacting for the first few times and you're like, huh, huh. It kind of looks like there's something going on there. And you're just like voyeuristically watching a romance, bud. I felt like that watching Landry Shamit and Jock Landell. Yes. I was like, hmm, is that, is that some chemistry I'm seeing between those two men? And they looked pretty good playing back and forth off of each other. I think it's really helpful that Jock kind of showed himself to have some real competency at three levels. Landry had a couple of nice shots during that game, but I was just, I was sitting there going, okay, we might have, we might have a little connection uh, developing on the bench unit. And that is really important for the Suns. Remember a few years ago, uh, campaign being able to get downhill with a guy like JaVale McGee, like that's a, that's a huge deal when that can when that can happen, um, and I think we might have it with Jock and Landry this year. I guess that wasn't yeah. multiple years ago; that was last year with the campaign. I think I think both of those both of those guys were my two standouts from from the the, the Lakers game, in my opinion. Obviously, box score you're going to see who's playing a lot of minutes, getting numbers, but effective scoring, like you said, Jock. For me, I will openly say I didn't do much research. I Listen to the press conferences. I've heard Book and others mention how impressed they've been with him in practice, but he is showing that he knows where to be on both sides of the ball. That's a big plus. And offensively, he's got more in his bag than I expected, and he's got the confidence to go through with it. So I thought he did great. I thought Landry really performed well, which was needed in terms of just his confidence, I think, uh, after a frustrating first game. One of the big stories, though, out of preseason that could have been worse, but still unfortunate, was the injury situation. Both cams going down in that game. In terms of updated injury report going into tomorrow's game against the Kings, the most recent thing that I've seen is we have Josh Okogie is now listed as probable with a left hamstring strain. Cam Johnson out with a right thumb strain. Campaign is out with a right finger sprain. Landry is out with a left hip strain, and then Dario is out due to personal reasons. Not sure what that is. Uh, And then surprisingly, Jay Crowder still not there. So the injury report did grow significantly after the last two preseason games, but Monty, I believe, said today in the media that he was pretty happy that it was as minimal as it was. I think there was an immediate concern, Cam Johnson especially, that it could have been a lot worse. Uh, The NBA official Twitter account did share 
a video of Cam Johnson doing some left-handed dribbling, and that kind of cracked me up. And I was like, Cam Johnson works on the offhand during the during the offseason. And I'm like, yes, because his right hand is basically in a mini cast, and that's all he can do. But hey, the the NBA social media people, they gotta they gotta find something to talk about. So I, I don't have much else to pull from preseason. Philip, what else you got? One nerdy thing. First nerdy part of the uh first nerdy thing of the year. Mikhail setting picks for CP3 in a pick and roll with interestingly DA being the one who spaces it as kind of a little three-man triangle that they're running, just something to watch out for. So it happened usually on the right side of the court. Mikhail would set a screen back towards the middle and Mikhail would roll hard because he's a good cutter. We know his statistics at the rim were insane last year. But then DA would stand right around the elbow, the top of the key with his mid-range efficiency to try to draw a shot blocker away. That kind of a three-man game is just something to watch for as the year gets going. A lot of times we think about a three-man pick and roll being a Spain action, a Spain pick and roll that we've talked about a lot on this on this podcast, but that with DA being the spacer right there, it's just a new look for the pick and roll. So again, just something to, something to keep your eye out for as the regular season gets going. Monty might pull out Phil Jackson's triangle if we're not careful. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's just get real wild and crazy up in here after a disappointing end of last season, but uh, no preseason. We are, we are slowly grinding towards the real thing. Uh, and to Ryan's point, I think he said none of it matters until a few weeks in. I think no. I said I said the season doesn't really start until about three weeks in. I'm gonna disagree with that. I think that's when we can like gauge who teams are. Maybe a couple weeks in, couple games under their belt. But uh, opening night's awesome. I love opening night. First game at home is great. You know the NBA tries to throw all the heavyweights at each other early on, get everyone watching as much as possible. I'm pumped. League pass, getting it all fired up, uh, thanks to my brother who runs most accounts that I log into to watch things. So it's it's good stuff. And we want to actually talk about the league as a whole as we get closer to the start of the regular season by just doing a pretty quick overview of the Eastern Conference. Now, for those listening, I promise we're going to get to some more Suns-specific talk later as we break down the rest of the roster. Hopefully you were here last week. Listen to us break down our guards. Now we're going to talk about the wings and the bigs a little later on. But before we get there, the Eastern Conference, easily overlooked as a Phoenix Suns podcast, to be quite honest with you. I think it gets brought up when certain optimists talk about NBA Finals matchups. But other than that, we really don't talk about them too much. But as we've mentioned many, many times, Suns games are more enjoyable when you understand who they're playing against, what the storylines are, what value they have, what challenges they can present. And so we just wanted to spend a few minutes, not an extensive breakdown by any means, but a few minutes talking about the Eastern Conference and breaking it down into two groups. First group being, who do we think are playoff locks? Who do we think out East are real contenders, guaranteed going to the playoffs? And then you can maybe play the optimist game of saying maybe the Suns are facing them down the road. And then the more fun group, the group that I want to talk about for sure, are Eastern Conference League Pass teams. And I think that is a far more interesting group, to be honest with you. But let's talk playoffs first. Philip, I'll kick it off to you. When you're looking at the Eastern Conference right now with, honestly, a lot of teams that 
should be back at full strength after last season. A lot of teams that were in the running and then weird question marks like the nets floating out there that who knows what's going to come of it. Who do you think are maybe the real contenders in the East? Ooh, the real contenders. You can, you can start broad and get narrow if you want to. Yeah, let's do that. So I think there are seven truly competent teams with maybe an eighth in the Eastern Conference. So I'll just run through the order that I think the top six will appear in and then the plan. I think it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks, Miami Heat, Boston Celtics. I hate this one. This one kills me. 76ers, the Nets, and the Cavs. And then if I had to pick four playing teams, Raptors, Hawks, Bulls, RIP, and the Wizards as well. So again, the top six right now, I have Bucks, Heat, Celtics, 76ers, Nets, and Cavs. And really, I think the only, maybe the only surprise would be the Cavs. But I think with Mobley getting another year under his belt and having Mobley and Allen there to anchor the defense, even when you have two subpar defenders in uh, Garland and Mitchell out front. I think they'll be good enough defensively. And then offensively, I think they're going to have a ton of firepower. But when it comes to the top, I still think it's Milwaukee's conference to lose because I think without a Chris Middleton injury, I think the Bucks would have been in the finals last year. And I'm not sure the Warriors would have had enough to take on the Bucks. Yeah, in in terms of the East for me, I I think I'm in pretty much agreement. I do think the Cavs, like you said, if you don't keep up with what happens over the offseason, may sound like a surprise, but Donovan Mitchell coming to Cleveland, an incredible amount of star power there, and as you said, offensive ability through the roof. Defensively, he is very good at standing out there. That's about (laughs) all I can say. Ryan, what else do you want to add in terms of what you're looking for out East? I've actually got the Cavs and the Hawks at the five and the six spot. I've, I've, I'm kind of like Philip. I can't bet against the Bucks. To me, the way I view this Bucks team is the way I've essentially viewed any LeBron team into the last about two seasons, probably. Where if Giannis is on the floor, there's a good chance that they're going to be a lock for number one at this point, out east at least. Um, I've got Sixers, Nets. I've got the Celtics at four. The Celtics are a hard one for me. I feel like they still have a really solid team, but I don't know how that's going to look. Uh, this year um, but I think I think the Cavs and the Hawks I, I'm, I'm looking over this Hawks roster I think they've made um, some good additions over the summer I, I, I'd like to think Clint Capella might return to playing at a high level basketball at least I'd like to hope I feel like he's had a, a, a rough couple of seasons here um, I just saw that they extended Okongwu so I think there's some good things going on in Atlanta and I'd like to see them a, a Trey Young run offense is fun to watch, and they've they've been some fun playoff games. So that that's kind of my six there. Yep, and Jay Crowder currently, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are the most recent trade rumor in terms of For Jay Frank Crowder. Kaminsky? I don't think that'll be it, ah, but uh, that is the most recent one. Uh, and yeah, I think at this point, the Bucks for me are the it's it's theirs to lose. Like you said, I just can't imagine them healthy not being able to compete and or win with anyone i think the nets are the big 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 question mark will their team even look like their current team come january i don't know um i do want to bring up that i think most of the teams at the top of the east made improvements of some kind or were able to lock down 
what made them special this past year. And I think that's impressive. Uh, Bucks, obviously, health was probably their number one issue when it came to why they didn't succeed last year. Uh, the Sixers, I think health is going to be big. I also think Tyrese Maxey is absolutely primed for a breakout season. A, oh crap, this guy's got another level to him. And James Harden seems to be mentally in a good spot in terms of everything coming out, how they restructured the teams, restructured his contract, were able to bring in the Tuckers and others around him. Celtics, I believe it was the Malcolm Brogdon deal that I thought was a good step up for them. I do think the coaching stuff, which we don't need to get super into, is a big red flag in terms of what will be able to return in terms of consistency. Again, Kevin Durant and Kyrie are back for the Nets. Good for them. Ben Simmons looks like he might actually play basketball again. Like there's a lot of stuff for the guys up top. Like I don't see a lot of people really falling from grace. The one team that I think I've been the most surprised by to see is kind of trickling down the power rankings of the NBA fandom at large is the heat. And that intrigues me. Uh, I tried to scour as many power rankings and preseason rankings as I could in the heat were consistently coming in at like the six to nine range, a couple creeping up in the four and five. That's interesting to me after all of the money that has been spent, all of the moves that have been made. I don't know that that's one to me where either they find success or give it, give it five years and they're an absolute dumpster fire and they're in the lottery. Over and over and over. And the reason I had the Heat second is because it seems like they find some 6'2 dude from the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's shooting like 45% from three and playing okay team defense. Who, was it, what, Gabe Vincent or something last Gabe year? Gabe Vincent, one, the Max Struess guy, guy as well. Yeah, yeah like they, their, their ability and their IQ, I'm going to say it just for the memes. The heat culture, which is, I think, a culture of competency. Pat Riley just slicked his hair back real nice <laughs> yeah. as he heard that. He's yeah. like, that's right, Philip. That's right. No, I think their cultural competency there is a real thing. And yeah. they are just a competent team. And that's kind of selling them a little bit short based on the past few years' performances. So I think we're going to look up in late February and think, wait, the Heat are ranked what? in the East. And I think it's going to be in home playoff, at least for the first round, if not for the two rounds. Ethan, did you have yours listed one to six? I didn't. I kind of just grabbed my, my general vibes. I just took, I took a vibe check, if you will. Mm. Um, <laughs> the nice but, Eastern I mean, Conference I, vibe It check. was pretty similar. I mean, off the top of my head, I think you're looking Bucks, Sixers. I really, I really want the Sixers to succeed. I think that's where I'm at there. I I want Joel Embiid to make an NBA Finals. I need that to happen. He just he's awesome. Uh, so we got Bucks, Sixers. I think Celtics are in that top group. I think the Nets are in that top group. I personally, I, I don't know. The Cavs for me are a guaranteed playoff team. I have a hard time justifying them cracking the top five over a Heat or others. Mm-hmm. But I think that's around where that group ends unless i'm just completely forgetting someone here um celtics are weird man the the coach thing i think is going to be a bigger deal than people give credit to with such a young team especially so 
We shall see. We shall see. Um, and also, Philip, a random funny tweet that popped in my head as you mentioned your heat thing. Uh, Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA, who is a contributor uh, for Celtics writing. He is also a cap guru type on Twitter who I followed for a long time. Uh, had a tweet literally today that says, I'm going to make an early NBA prediction. Omer Yurtsefin is the quote, where did he come from guy for the heat this year? Like he's already calling his shot on who that rando is going to be and said that he even thinks he could be a uh, regular minutes guy at the four, you know, coming in, providing immediately. Who knows? They always find a couple. So I totally get it. I do want to shift to the NBA league pass teams. I think the idea of the league pass team uh, something that's definitely caught seam the last few years. It's become a more normal phrase. It is the must watch, but not always because they're great. It is more of a, if I want to sit down with a drink in hand and throw on a basketball game and say, I'm going to have fun watching this, that is that is a league pass team. And I want to go ahead and kick it off with one of my favorites, and that's the New York Knicks. That's my pick. And I I want to see what happens with the Jalen Brunson experiment. And part of it is because I think it could implode. Like, I think there is a timeline (laughs) that ends with Knicks fans rioting and just saying, what have we done? Why did we give all this money? Did we not try hard enough to get Mitchell? Mitchell openly said in his press conference, he wanted to go there, which seemed to just add fuel to the fire. And then you just look at what's constructed. And I'm like, what, what are what are the Knicks supposed to be? Do are I mean they obviously think they're playoff contenders. There's no way they're winning the whole thing. So what's the goal? I don't know. I think they're fun one out east. Uh, Ryan, I stole yours, so I'll give you a sec to recoup. Philip, give me give me a team on your your Eastern Conference League past teams. So I had I had three, but I'm gonna get rid of the Cavs and the 76ers because they were two of my playoff teams, and. It's the Pistons for me for a couple reasons. First of all, young talent. Young talent's always fun to watch, and it's fun to watch teams like watch watch a young team a couple times towards the beginning of the year, a couple times towards the middle of the year, and then towards the end of the year, and you can see the development taking place. And a lot of times, what happens is young guys look more in control, so it almost looks like they're playing slower, but it's more methodical. It's more intentional with their playing. But then the Pistons have guys like Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Isaiah Stewart, Kevin Knox, Hami Dialu, Killian Hayes. These are guys who they need to show something. They need to show something to the rest of the league, whether that's so that they can keep getting a contract in Detroit or prove themselves well enough to either get traded to a contender to get picked up by a more... um, winning oriented NBA franchise after this, after the season, if their contract is up. So I think that's an interesting dynamic when you have the young guys, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey paired with guys who really need to show something and really need to make something happen. I think that could make for some institutional prowess there in Detroit, where, where they're at least looking to show they seem they can play some ball. Yeah and, yeah. and in terms of leadership and decision-making for the first time in a while, they seem confident. So I agree. Pistons looking nice. Ryan, what you got? The Knicks, the, the Knicks was mine, but I also had a second, which which works out well. Um, and it's one, 
I, I think they're going to probably be in the running for a playoff spot. I don't think that's in question. Um, they're a team that's that's got a lot of familiar faces coming back. Um, but one thing I don't think that's talked about enough with this team is they've actually brought in an NBA champion. And they've got a guy who comes from a line of champions. Uh, and that's the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I think the Bulls will be fun to watch this year. You've got DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine. But you brought in Kostas Antetokounmpo. And I think when you bring in that winning <laughs> culture, it just really adds a, a lot of value to a team who hasn't been there yet, right? He's going to be able to bring in that experience from, from winning that championship. He, I'm sure he knows what that's like with his brother's run to the finals, MVP caliber sibling. Um, and it'll give me something to talk about with P. Russ. So the Bulls are, are my other league pass team. Can I? Oh, I was hoping you would. <laughs> I hate you for bringing up the Bulls. Last year, it such was a boring watch. By the it way. was crystal clear. It was like if you get a point, like a point guard, on this team, which meant get Lonzo back in the lineup, then it could be a really good team with how dynamic Zach and Demar Derozan were together. And then when the injury report is, yeah, he's gonna miss at least a couple months because he See, can't walk. Like, come I, on now. How you bring so it up that was actually I that's a great great transition. The Hornets were on my league pass team, but guys, it's been a really tough couple weeks for for the balls. The balls have taken quite a hit recently. They have been in a really tough spot where they're just not they don't look as healthy as they used to. When you when you see the balls, you expect a certain level, a certain caliber to their game. And I just don't think they're performing in terms of the fact that we've got Lonzo out for who knows how long because they can't walk. And LaMelo's, what, grade two sprained knee that they're saying is going to be multiple months? But they do have LiAngelo. You're right. The third ball that no one expected to be there is in the <laughs> league. And maybe he can provide something. That the first two couldn't, but I just don't see that coming. And what kills is that, jokes aside, I don't know who's making jokes, but if there were some, both of those teams get so much less fun because of those injuries. The Bulls are an actual kind of fun, watchable team when they have Lonzo. Because Lonzo offensively can create for all the talent around him. And defensively, I think, was looking really solid pre-injury. And LaMelo is turning into, I would say, with Ja Morant, one of the most just straight entertaining players in the league. And Trey Young has like a weird version of that. But I think when you add just the ability to get to the rim as well, like LaMelo has, and Ja has it like times a thousand, it's a bummer. I will say one of the most interesting storylines that I'm seeing now with LaMelo's injury, did the Hornets just put themselves in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes? Possibly. They're not going to be able to compete without LaMelo for two months-ish. If there's ever a time to just say, hey, it's not our year, can you imagine those two being together? That would be a whole lot of fun. Just saying. Uh, anyone else out east? That is intriguing, worth watching. Uh, I I couldn't think of any just like straight up ones that jumped to mind. Philip, what you got? I have a question. As yeah. more seasoned Suns fans, do Suns fans hate James Harden? Some do, but it's not because they're Suns fans. 
Yeah, that, I think that's I think, I think if you find a Suns fan that doesn't like James Harden, I don't think it has to do with the Suns. I think it's the the style of play, draw foul, Got the same angst that Suns fans have found in Luka, but now they get to hate him because they're Suns fans and because of play style. So he's kind of like the second coming, but worse. Gotcha. Because again, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I think the 76ers are going to be good uh, this year. So if you, uh, if you like me, aren't a huge fan of James Harden, you just have to, uh, you're just going to have to take it this year and watch him rack up a lot of dubs and probably a lot of points and assists as well. Well, and to Ethan's point, Doc Rivers already this offseason has made a point to bring up Maxie's growth. Uh, and, and to me, that A is empowering Maxie to, to say, you know, I am probably the third piece in this machine at this point. Um, but it speaks to him and, and his talent. And I, th- I think to Ethan's point, I think it could be a really fun year to watch Maxi play. Having had the privilege of watching him as a Kentucky fan, you would see flashes. Um, uh, Malik Monk was kind of that way too at, at Kentucky specifically, where you would see these flashes where you're like, oh, this kid is special. Now Monk hasn't done that so much at the next level, but I think Maxi has that ability to be a really, really dominant guard for, for a while. I've got one more Easter conference team to mention, and uh, this will get some uh, angst from the Suns listeners. The Pacers may be the one team out of the entire East that we've not brought up once. If you're not interested in seeing what happens to Jalen Smith's career, that's fine. I personally am invested. I want to see what comes of, of the Jalen Smith, the sticks experiment. Pacers are weird. They've got Halliburton with Heald. Smith is like a legit piece in their roster, plus others. I'm intrigued. I don't know. If you're looking for a weird Vegas pick to like squeeze into the, the play-in games, you never know. Who The Pacers could do something, probably won't. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to at least mention them in case someone was secretly like, man, they talk about every team in the East except my Indiana Pacers. <laughs> And now you can hear this and go back to your cornfield and I was feel say, like the you're a part of the, the corn of the NBA. Like they're not exciting in the slightest. Phil, but I do. Phil, hope do you have a sticks. do you have a rebuttal, my Indiana man? <laughs> no, my my favorite basketball team has been smeared and made a mockery of. And you have a my champion. Home state, my home state has been made a mockery of. So no, let's move on. Can we talk about the Suns now? Thanks. I would love. Let's talk about. The Suns. Let's talk about the Suns' bigs. Uh, for sake of scheduling, we ended up combining bigs with the wings as well, which kind of helps because there's a lot of wings that I don't really know where they fall on the, the guard versus big scale. And so we're talking kind of big picture here in terms of, of the Suns and their roster. Last week, we broke down the guards, which really was the these guys are getting serious minutes. It was Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Campaign, Landry Shamit, dot, 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 and others. And that's kind of the same approach we're going to take here to the Suns bigs. What is interesting about the wings and the bigs is we have a lot of new faces. In last week's episode, we were talking about a lot of known commodities. We were talking about players we had seen. We'd seen how they interacted with each other. And now we're moving to a, a bigger group that has a few few more question marks, potentially. And one of the guys we expected to be here 
is DNP NWT and will be until he is traded away to who knows where. Bless up, Jay Crowder. Best of luck wherever to the boss man. In terms of the bigs as a whole, Philip, let's instead of trying to go positional or just go down the line, let's talk about their strengths. When you're looking at the bigs in the wings, what do you think jump out as the biggest strengths within this group? For the starters, it's versatility. DA, Cam, McHale are versatile players, each in their own right. Cam Johnson may be a little bit less so than DA and McHale, but if you think about DA and his ability at least to hold his own when he switches out onto a defender, a shot that's inconsistent at times, but he's definitely versatile, let's say 15 feet and in towards the basket. And then McHale has shown flashes in the past of being a three-level scorer. And I think that will be a big point of emphasis this year. And we all know how well McHale can defend different positions. So when it's those three guys on the court, or just those three guys on the court with or without one another, they're bringing a high skill set to the table. And really not even just a high skill set, but just a wide skill set and real competency to do different kinds of things on the floor. I agree. Ryan, what else What else would you deem as maybe some of the, the strengths of the wings and the bigs for the Suns this year? We do have some depth. Whether What that looks like, I'm not sure. I do, I do feel confident that uh, at least at the, the three and the five, that there, there's some legitimate uh, depth there. I, I'm, I think Ish Wainwright's career looks promising. I think he showed some really good signs towards the end of last season. I think Bismack Biombo proved himself to be a serviceable backup through the playoffs, though we are going to miss JaVale. Um, Jock has proven himself, as, as Phillips already pointed out, as, as being uh, an exciting player. My, my question marks really are, are the four right now. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where, where Tory Craig comes into play. I know he's listed as a small forward, but sometimes he slides into that four spot. I don't know what Dario's health is going to look like. The dude is playing basically on no knees at this point in his career. So I think it is fair to give him a question mark. Uh, at the three and the five, I feel fairly good. It's it's that four spot that I, I really have some big questions, though. Well, let's let's go to the five since y'all both mentioned it. And I have one question that I just kind of think uh, DeAndre Ayton, I think, is a known commodity. I don't think other than the fact that he hasn't hit his ceiling yet is, you know, an encouraging thing to remember. I think there's still growth there. My question to you guys is, who's the backup center right now? Because I have seen, I'll put it this way, going into this offseason after the announcements were made, I assumed Bismack was the backup center. He would be taking the JaVale minutes, and then Jock would get the table scraps that Bismack saw a lot of the times. Again, we can't read too much into preseason, but do you think that maybe that my initial assessment was wrong and that might be flipped? I hope it is. Because if if you think the backup center is going to be playing alongside a guy like Campaign, I would want someone like Jock to be out there instead of Busy. Because what Jock can do is he can create real magnetism from the three-point line. The teams, it seems from the way he's shooting this preseason, teams are going to have to respect his three-point ability. And if you put a guy like that who can dive to the rim, fine. 
and can shoot well, that's a bet. That's just a better fit with campaign to open up the lane. So I think it should be DA's number one, Jock's number two. I'm not sure where Busy falls, but it seems like the table scraps are going to go to Daria. Yeah, it's it's an interesting setup. Uh, they got Jock for cash considerations. So going into it, I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was like an emergency depth piece, but it sure seems like they have a plan. I think he has stood out in two areas offensively. Actually, no, I'm going to give him three areas that have impressed me. Number one, the high pick and roll. I think he has shown that he is very comfortable and confident with that, where to go, where to be, a good rhythm, like you said already, being kind of shown in some of those situations. I think he has shown a lot of ability shooting the ball that, once again, with my little knowledge, I didn't know what to expect. The guy's got confidence shooting it from deep. To your point, that opens a lot of stuff up that Bismack wouldn't open up, JaVale wouldn't open up, and DA a lot of times also wouldn't open up. And then finally, he is just one of those always in the right place for an offensive rebound type of guys to where he crashes hard. He's boxing out and fighting strong against the other bigs. And he just, he just came, he seems to jump off the screen to me in terms of keeping possessions alive. And that so, is vital. Do you, would you, do you think an Aaron Baines is a fair comparison at that point? Cause it sounds like a lot of the, the high points you're describing for what he does well is a lot of the success that Aaron found on our team for, for the short time that we had him. He can move. That's, that's my difference. It looks like he can fluidly move or on the court. Uh, and just, I don't know. I loved Baines. Baines trudged when he set that screen. He was not, he was not immediately cutting anywhere with any intensity other than a, I'm going to kind of roll over you type of thing. But it seems like Lando has has some quick feet to him, lateral quickness, I guess. Like he can get to where he needs to, and that is what's allowing him to get those offensive boards. He's not, you know, he's not mossing anyone, jumping over top. He's just getting to the right places quickly, which is really impressed. In terms of creation for others, there's not been enough for me to confidently say, like, yes, that's there. I think that is one of the things that people love about Dario so much. They like his ability to be that offensive conduit of the ball can flow through him and he can create for others and he can bring the ball down. But I'm kind of in your camp, Ryan. I'm I'm not going to be quick to give Dario any sort of goals or expectations on my end. It's just too early. Like, I think it was great seeing what he did over the summer overseas. I'm not sure. And personally, I I'm a little worried about what a lineup would look like when Dario's at the five. Now that our four is a lot shakier without Jay, because I think, I think you're right. I think that that player pool for the four is either going to be in a sense, an oversized guard. Like Josh Akogi is a guard. Damian Lee is a guard. That's, I mean, I think Akogi's like six, four. So we're either playing them up or it's a mix of ish. Who's not like super tall, but he is, yoked ish Tory Craig again a, probably a more built small forward who plays up and plays big or uh goodness brain fart Dario who is built more like a four than a five so you're either saying we're going to put a very big person in at the five or everything is kind of getting downsized I don't know how that's going to work 
I'm intrigued to see what the rotations look like. Um, but to answer my own question, I think I think Jock has definitely put himself in a position to get those second center minutes until proven otherwise, which is probably my biggest surprise of the offseason preseason so far. I never would have imagined that when they got him for cash considerations. I just didn't expect him to make an impact like that. Which this could mean that Dario is now a trade chip more than anything for the Phoenix Suns. Oof, hadn't thought about it, but uh, I mean, I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with you. I, I don't, I don't know. I like Dario the person. I don't, I don't love the idea of him at the five simply because defensively, I think that's going to be a nightmare. But he's also not quick enough to play the four. I don't think. Right, right. That's. I think I think he has to be on the court with four dudes that defensively can take care of business, and maybe that's why you bring in an Akogi, a, a defensive specialist who, what he lacks offensively, is being made up for by a Dario, in some situations. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we've already kind of started to see there's a lot more question marks when it comes to the bigs. So I think the five is the five. We know the three guys who are traditionally going to be in that role. Obviously, like Ryan already mentioned, Tory played the five in the playoffs. Jay played the five. There's a lot of small ball lineups that can happen, but I think true fives, we've got our three. We have a good idea of what that will look like. It le- I mean, Aiton's going to be eating those minutes. We'll see what happens with the second unit. Going now on the opposite side of things to our more traditional threes, I think as you kind of stated with the ambiguity or murkiness of the fours i think it's because the phoenix suns view the four as just another three so you don't it doesn't fit in with a traditional basketball lineup mindset of we have a one two three four five we have guys for each you're gonna see mikhail and cam out there you're gonna see a tory and mikhail seems like ish is gonna be slotting into one of those as well it just seems really fluid from the three through five because, I mean, think think back to last season, guys. Tell me if I'm missing anyone. At some point during the season, even if it is short stints, Torrey Craig played the five, Jay played the five, DA, obviously, Busy, obviously, JaVale, obviously. Uh, Cam Johnson would play the five in weird stints. I mean, it was like any uh, Dario, obviously, pre-injury. Like, they they had a lot of different small ball options. But we also got murdered by very good bigs or at the rim more than I would have liked. So it's a very fluid group. Obviously, I think our strengths are McHale, period. McHale's great. But what do you see in the the more traditional wing group, the threes and the fours, that either you're excited about or maybe you're nervous about? I think it was interesting that you guys brought up a concern about defensive competency from the backup bigs because i think with the wings it's the opposite problem yep so with with the wings we're wondering is there enough offensive competency on the bench between tory craig damian lee josh okogi ish wainwright and unfortunately what a lot of that comes down to is are the three pointers going to be falling for those guys throughout the course of the season i will say after Josh Okogie was signed, 
I was interested in him and I looked him up. He shot below 30% from three last year. And then I went into sicko mode and I went on the NBA's website and I just watched his three pointers for a while. He has a better looking shot than a 30% three point shooter. If you go and you just watch him catch and shoot, I'm wondering, looking at the bright side of things, shout out to the bright side podcast network. If, if we're going to see even like a five point bump for him, if he's going to be more like a 35% three point shooter this year, again, because again, mechanically, he just looks better than I'm looking at it right now. 29.8% from three last year. So I'm hopeful on that. end. again, we talked about this a little bit last week, guys like Damian Lee, they're just going to be noticeably better when they're around good players. And then Ish Wainwright, I'm, I'm not high on Ish Wainwright. I think he is a stick him at the end of the bench and only bring him in in case of foul trouble, maybe small ball five occasionally like the Spurs game last year. But Ish is not a guy I would be confident with the Suns playing any significant amount of minutes. I, t- I tend to agree with that, at least as of now. More than anything, I'm just kind of excited just to see some new faces. I feel like we've had a lot of, uh, and it's a good thing, we've had a lot of continuity at most of these positions for a couple of years now. So I'm just curious to see, you know, I'm, I'm holding out any kind of judgments or rev- reservations on Lee and Okogie. We both, are, both of those guys are 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 solid at their position, I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and act like I've watched hours and hours of film on them. So I'm just curious to kind of see, you know, like, what what that looks like, how they fit into the system, because there are guys as well. I think, you know, uh, Tory Craig was a late season pickup last year, and and he though he was returning, he never found his rhythm. Really, it felt like Landry Shamit never really found his rhythm fully last year. So, in addition to those guys who are trying to figure out where they fit as returners, I'm curious just to see kind of what Okogi and Lee look like in a, a very well-established at this point system. And I'm just kind of excited to see what Monty is able to do with those tools um, and, and that kind of mix and match plug and play kind of uh, lineup he likes to, to use. Yeah. And just to punctuate real quick, the point about both of our points about Damian Lee, if you, if you keep up with the NBA, you've probably heard how high the warriors are on their young guys, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moses Moody. There were times last year during the playoffs where Damian Lee was playing explicitly like one for one over Moses Moody. So like there was at least trust in his ability to come into a really good team, obviously a championship level team and fit in and play a particular role. That wasn't 20, 25 minutes a night, but that were those would be 10 important minutes here or there throughout the course of a series. And again, I think that's a really valuable asset when you have so much talent, especially at the top end of this roster. I think one of the most interesting things for me, and I do think this is where there might, there is some value to the preseason top for the fans, obviously, is if I ask you who, who is the second unit? I don't know if I have a concrete answer of who, who is six through 10 currently. Uh, and if you look at the minutes from the last couple of games, you're seeing Tory, Josh, Akogi, Dwayne Washington, Damian Lee, uh, Luau Cabarro, all in the 15 to 21 minutes, all of them. And that is obviously with the rest of the starters getting theirs. I feel like this really is, let's figure out what we got and then see 
And so if you're thinking with help, Campaign and Landry Shamit are going to be two of those guys in the second unit. That's a lot of bodies competing to be eight, nine, and 10. And I don't quite know what that's going to look like. I am leaning heavily towards Jock being one of those five. And so now you're fitting in either Craig, Wainwright, Akogi, uh, probably Lee. I don't maybe into those two spots to some capacity. And obviously there's going to be, there's some staggering. It's not like we're throwing out all five of them like we did uh, against the Sixers. But uh, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but anyway, Philip, anything else on the bigs and the wings as we bring this thing to a close? Not, not particularly, but just again, to kind of emphasize where our nerves are at or the unknowns with the wings, it's, is there enough offensive competency on the bench? And then with the bigs, is there enough defensive competency? Which again, that's going to be an interesting dynamic with this second unit when we're essentially saying we think the offensive firepower might be at the five, especially with a guy like Jock Lindell. But then when you're looking at the three and the four, we're going, we don't know if there's going to be a lot of productivity there, which means again, so much is going to fall on the shoulders of campaign and Landry Shamit. Yep. I'm with you. Well, gentlemen, we're getting closer and closer to regular season basketball. I think we've got one more, one more episode before the season starts. I think our plan is to do some in season predictions or, uh, regular season predictions for the sun specifically seeing where we think they're going to be. We will try to hold ourselves accountable to that. Uh, I'll try to think of some, some little more interesting predictions or guesses we can throw in there as well, whether that's who's going to be an all-star who's going to finish where within some of the end of the year votings. We'll, we'll see what we can figure out as we just try to keep it strictly suns as we get ourselves excited for the season opener gentlemen anything else to add before we call it a wrap go son amen oh amen amen hallelujah brother Uh, this has been into the valley for philip and ryan i am ethan thank you all for listening this is the valley phoenix podcast yeah